All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 125. It's Tuesday night. We're here to talk with you, as we always are. There's so much going on in college football, and hearing your voices and discussing the issues of the week is something we like to do with you. So if you'd like to join us, just go ahead and hit that request button on the Twitter app. I'll let you up. And we can talk about what's going on in college football. So I'm going to be joined by my regular co-hosts tonight, J.D. Moore and Sirius. But again, we'd like to have you part of that conversation. There's, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Actually, the news story that caught my attention today, and there's a lot kind of going on. But Brett McMurphy, who's always got a good idea of what's going on in college football, was uh, has reported that Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov has visited Southern Methodist University Wednesday and Right now, the leading contenders for Pac-12 expansion are apparently San Diego State and SMU. Those make some sense. Uh, they certainly fill in a couple of glaring holes that keep the Pac-12 competitive, of course, after they were losing USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. I think San Diego State's probably the less surprising of the two. Uh, it's been expected that they would be the go-to team to replace that important Southern California market, kind of bring it back into the Pac-12 fold. Obviously not necessarily to the extent as UCLA and USC, but at the, it is definitely a large market. San Diego is a metro population of like 4 million, and it will bring in the Los Angeles market again. And this idea of bringing in Southern Methodist certainly will bring in the Metroplex, which is an extremely valuable market. We always I mean, my joke is they should just have every conference at the Metroplex involving college football because so many of them end up there with the Big 12 Conference USA, you know, the Cotton Bowl. Obviously, there's just so much that goes on there. But it looks like we are my co-hosts are finally here. J.D., how are you doing tonight? You know, it has been more than 24 hours at this point of John Ruiz refusing to correct the math on Miami spending more than $25 million on coaching changes just to go 5-7 and seven with a home loss to MTSU in this last year. Was really hoping, after all the uh, shouting that he did on Twitter, that he'd eventually come up with new numbers. Uh, but alas, we must still wait. Yeah, that was a that was a surprise. Maybe he'll jump in on here. <laughs> and if he does, he'd be welcome. But uh, that was uh, that. Well, I remember waking up and seeing like, oh, who did we uh, who did we decide to have a conversation with this morning on Twitter? And it was John Ruiz, Life Wallet CEO, attorney, certainly a uh, mega booster for the Canes. And you know, we've got nothing against the Canes. I'd love to see them fun again because and successful again because the U is entertaining, if anything else. Um, and speaking of the Canes, you know, they've made a shift. Uh, one of the big stories that was popular in RCFB this week was that Tulane's defensive coordinator, Lance Gild Gidry, uh, is expected to become the next defensive coordinator at Miami. That was the news today by Pete Thamel, who's usually a reliable source on that. So, you know, of course, he was only there for like a <laughs> He was barely there. So uh, that that was kind of one of those moments where, at least it wasn't the head coach, but someone got poached almost immediately by a, uh, a deeper-pocketed program. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, he was named as defensive coordinator at Tulane 18 days ago, and now it appears that he's going to be over in Miami. So we'll see how that goes over there. But, again, if you want to join the conversation, we always enjoy hearing from you. It's college football. We enjoy it. It's something fun. Just hit request. We'd love to have your thoughts on what's going on. 
Um, JD, there's other stuff that's been going on too. By the way, I would love to hear you. I, I kind of, when we sort of launched in, started talking about these Pac-12 rumors that are going on on expansion. San Diego State being in the lead is is one of those programs that we expected. But Southern Methodist, you know, it's been mentioned before, but it seems like there's 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 more than just smoke going on with the commissioner heading over there. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think it's necessarily a surprise to hear that SMU is being floated around for Pac-12 rumors. There's been previous rumors about that before. And we've also seen, you know, this is not the first time that the Pac-12 has tried to get into Texas. It's been shown for more than a dozen years at this point that the Pac-12 wants some form, if they go to further expansion, to get into the Lone Star State. We saw this way back when they were the first ones to try to get Texas to get out of the Big 12, and they tried to do the package deal that included them and Texas Tech, uh, trying to pull them, and then that deal kind of fell apart. Uh, Then they started new rumors again with going after Texas Tech when Texas announced that they were going to the SEC. Now we're seeing SMU being courted after TCU had once been courted, after all these different Texas schools, you know, have been – floated as rumors at one point or another to the Pac-12. I don't think it's surprising that SMU is now the next team that the Pac-12 is talking about because they seem to be the most likely to jump at this next point. The Big 12 now has this new contract. They're positioned to be the third highest Power 5, or rather the third highest paid conference uh, with their new TV rights that have been negotiated. They have a lot of stability in this new group of four teams that they have coming on board with UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, kind of stabilizing that conference for a bit. So I don't think the Pac-12 is necessarily in a point of power to try to poach one of those schools out. So you have to start looking at, you know, who would be willing to jump at this point. And you got to start looking at some of those G5 schools. Obviously, it makes a lot of sense for San Diego State to fill in that void. But I think SMU, that gets you into the DFW market for your recruits. That gets you the opportunity to get in front of Texas TVs, Texas eyeballs. You have a school that, you know, although it's a little bit religiously affiliated, you got to remember Methodist is in the name. They still do have a very large endowment, very good academics for what the Pac-12 wants to go out and court respectfully. You know, they're not necessarily looking for like a Boise State level of academics, which is very unfortunate given the uh, geography of the Pac-12. You're not going to be looking for a UNLV. You're not well, going to be looking for a Fresno State. Yeah, and, and to be fair, they don't really add as significant a market. You just can't compare Boise. I don't care how fast Boise is growing. They don't have the TV market that the Metroplex does or San Diego has. Those two are enormous markets. And of course, San Diego, as I mentioned, drags in at least the Southern California market again. So I, I think... I know Fresno State fans are disappointed that the Pac-12 doesn't really want seems to want them and and uh, and Boise State fans, but it, the problem is those markets just are are well. First of all, Fresno State, uh, all respect to them, they were basically and I, I get it. They do fill a void because USC and UCLA certainly had control of the Central Valley in a lot of ways, especially the southern half of the Central Valley, which is Fresno, Bakersfield, and, and all the little towns in between, but. Yeah, they unfortunately, you know, while they would love to be members of the Pac-12, they don't bring in the heft. And yeah, and you know, it's so funny. Now that I'm thinking about it, losing USC and UCLA, bringing in SDSU, San Diego State, uh, you know, state school, fine university, big university in the uh, in the Cal State system. And then, you know, I was just thinking Southern Methodist, you know, you were talking about, obviously, they're a good school, private school. I, I just realized from what I've read, the attitude of the SMU fan might be a good replacement for the USC fan. 
You know, I, I, am I right there? I mean, it seems like because I mean, I went to USC. I've said that a bajillion times. The reputation of USC, especially when I went there, was a bunch of rich kids. You know, who couldn't get necessarily into the school of their choices. You know, the the really insult was USC was University of Second Choices. But um, and that's changed over the last couple of decades. But at the same time, I mean, we were they were the the annoying kind of sometimes fratty kind of, you know, obnoxious fans. And for whatever it is, you might be a good filler for that. Yeah, I don't think you're necessarily off the cuff there. I think, you know, uh, SMU fans would get, uh, or at least the student body, would get along very, very well with some of the USC student body. Uh, But I think overall, again, when you're looking at who is available to fill in this void and get the Pac-12 up to 12 members again, looking at what they truly value with academics and uh, profile of the student bodies, the alumni connections and the president connections, SMU seems to make a lot of sense for who is available as the last available partner. I don't think it's necessarily too big a surprise, but man, could you imagine going back 10 years ago and going, hey, you know what? That Iron Skillet game, that's a Power 5 matchup. Oh, wow. Both of them made it to the uh, Big 12? Mm, Not quite. (laughs) Hey, and we we have a couple of guests up here right now. Let's see here. I see. Well, Sirius, by the way, he's now up here. He's able to talk. But I wanted to also welcome uh, Coach Oates. What's going on? What did you want to talk about? Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm a, a big Iowa Hawkeye fan and I'm, I'm trying, I'm typically one of the more positive fans and I'm obviously not going to quit rooting, but I'm wondering, are we like the laughing stock of college football after this Brian Ferentz news yesterday? I mean, you know, it's always going to be one thing of, you know, you have hired your son as your offensive coordinator. That's always one thing. And I don't think nobody ever really cares if your son is doing excellently. At the job, right? When you see something like a Charlie Weiss Jr. Uh, performing really, really well as an offensive coordinator, you don't think, oh, this is a nepotism hire. And surely, like, he only got the name because, or he only got the job because of his name. Uh, you ended up seeing a really good result. You're not seeing that with Brian Ferentz. And for them to publicly come out and go, hey, you know what? We're putting essentially a PIP plan in. Uh, and the entire PIP is going to be we're going to only dock him 50 grand, which is hardly anything in his actual annual salary. And then also say, we really want 25 points a game. Does it have to come from the offense? We want 25 points a game. <laughs> Given, you know, we, we had tweeted about it earlier of like this horrible fan fiction uh, that I think would be absolutely hilarious of, you know, interest scene of Iowa-Nebraska, last game of the season. Iowa has scored 298 points on the year, 7-4. and four, So they've already got the seven wins to keep Brian's job safe. Uh, but then, you know, Nebraska has to snap the ball on their own five-yard line, and Kirk Ferentz smiles because his end game has come. A safety gets his son a two-year contract. Uh, that's something that would be exceptionally peak Iowa. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, it's... I don't know if you as an Iowa fan are excited about I want my team to win or I want my team to do just badly enough that Brian Ferentz is contractually forced out of my program. I mean, you always got to cheer for him, but it's just it's just kind of embarrassing. It's not like they really even gave him that tough of parameters to meet. You know, it's like we've won seven games plus the last eight years or so if you take out that COVID year. So it's not like they're making him do much. So I don't know. Just frustrating times. Yeah, I, I don't know how to break this to you, but I wouldn't say that the news this week 
made Iowa the laughing stock because we were all already laughing last year and, and the year before about the issues that Brian Francis offense was having. This is just like the next joke in the set. And we're just kind of like waiting to see how this is going to go. Cause we're like halfway through the Netflix special at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, like I personally, I, I'm hoping for, I was kicker to have to kick like multiple 60 yarders a game. Um, just because they're trying to get to that 25 points per game because they've got a great defense and special teams, but they only had six touchdowns last year, and that's just not going to be enough to uh, to get the, the work done. So they're going to have to find some more points somewhere else in the field, and technically those are going to count. Um, so, yeah, he got his $50,000 deduction, but then if he hits 25 points per game then and the seven wins, he gets like $150,000 back. So um, it's, it's quite the situation. Um, I guess this is what happens when your dad's the god emperor for life of Iowa. And that's um, because I don't it's not like I want to move on from, from Kirk Ferentz, you know, and, and like I, I don't think that would be the right move. But at some point, it's kind of a joke when when you keep doing this for your son. But anyways, we can move on. I doubt all these people want to listen about Iowa, but that was my only comments. Well, hey, before we move on to a different topic, though, I do want to ask one question in sincerity. Sure. Is this a year that we see Phil Parker go, hey, you know what? So proud of you boys. Recover those fumbles. Get those interceptions. Run out of bounds at the 10-yard line. Let's see what Brian can do here. I don't know. I don't think so. But I would be kind of frustrated to find him as well. But if anything, it's making him look even better in all this. But he's got to be pretty pissed off. Just knowing what could be. You know, uh, I, I have to just say, I was kind of reviewing the posts that were on this topic on RCFB. And what, I love the top comment when there was first. Well, actually, before they even gave the details about what they were going to do for Brian Ferentz. But when they when it, it was announced that uh, Kirk Ferentz was going to anticipate no changes to his coaching staff, the uh, uh, the user Minnesota user, but you know, I, I don't think he meant this as as a rivalry thing. It was you know, uh, user humble like Starscream used the classic Simpsons joke, "Good old Rock, nothing beats that." From that episode where Lisa knows exactly what Bart's going to pick in Rock Paper Scissors, it's going to be Rock, and then it's like you hear it, Rock. Uh, Bart's brain, good old Rock. Nothing beats that, and that's ex- that's exactly what it feels like with Kirk. It's like he's gonna he's gonna keep trying, he's gonna keep running the same thing, and eventually <laughs> he hopes it's gonna work. But uh, yeah, man, thank you, Coach Oates. It was great hearing from you. Thank you. Hey, Doc Holiday, I see you're back. We'd love to hear from you. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. We're not freezing no more here, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm in Dallas, so we're not freezing. We got rain now, but uh, it's our typical it's our typical February Texas weather. But uh, uh, with Iowa, <laughs> I gotta say this about Iowa, man. You got a dude that's been there for over twenty over twenty five years, man. I I say it like this. I'm gonna say it like this. If he goes seventy four again, or whatever type of record he has, it's not winning the 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 Big Ten, uh, Eastern Division. He got to go. He has to go. You have to, you have to unceremoniously dethrone him from the head coaching job if he can't get it. You know, what I'm saying if he can't get it done. Uh, so I think it, it's time. I think 
on on a real from what I'm listening to, it's time for some new blood to be to come into Iowa. Um don't get me wrong, he had great success with 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 Kirk Ferentz. And I like and to talk about the contract stipulation with Brian Ferentz, I laughed at that. <laughs> I laughed. Like it, well, let's, it, go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, well, listen, when you're talking about, you know, ousting a guy who has built the modern football program at Iowa, at least in what I've heard from Iowa circles, it is universally Kirk Ferentz is loved in the fact that he's built a consistent bull program every, you know, maybe five to six years. He's competing for New Year six, if not a Big Ten title. Uh, but the biggest uh, complaint solely goes to Brian Ferentz more than anything else. Yes, there's a couple of arguments about Chris Doyle. There's a couple of arguments about culture. But everybody loves the fact that he's built a consistent winner in Iowa City. And I don't think anybody's necessarily calling for his ouster. But what I do see is people just absolutely livid at this idea that, you know, not only is his son the offensive coordinator, the son isn't doing well, but it's this magic thinking of Gary Barta is the only one who gets to decide whether – you know, Brian Ferentz gets to keep his job or not. So I don't think anybody's necessarily calling for Kirk Ferentz to resign or for him to be fired. And it's also insanely prohibitive. He's got something like a $47 million buyout. Yeah, it was 48. Uh, it was 48 million last season. So I think ooh. it reduces, you know, by a salary each. Because the reason 48. 29. So. That's still a lot of money. Not crazy, burn everything and, and fire. Oh, I've got some audio issues, I've been told. So I'm gonna I'm gonna correct. But yeah, needless to say though, I think there's in no best interest for anybody wanting uh Kirk Ferentz to be out of the program to stop being the leader of the Iowa Hawkeyes. But I think at this point, you know, if Brian Ferentz somehow half delivers on what he needs to do and gets any form of an extension. I imagine the pitchforks start coming out for Brian at his house as opposed to Kirk himself. But then again, we did see an example this last year of TCU, the man who literally has a statue on campus, had built the entire program at TCU. You know, he parted ways. Yeah, he parted ways with TCU, and the Horned Frogs immediately went to the national championship game. Not saying it's always replicable, but the example is there. But yeah, you know, what watch they steal PJ Fleck, and that happens. And, that would be. And, and if you, you don't, <laughs> oh you my don't have coaches like that. Anyway. Doc, what else are you thinking about, man? Um, let's see. Like, what we got? Uh, well, on my end, you know, I did. You know, I did with HBCU football. Um, all of uh, everybody in the sweat. Uh, everybody's schedules came out uh, last week, uh, this past weekend. Um, I'm going to say I, I give a grade to uh, a couple of schools. Uh, I give a, I'm going to give an A-plus to Prairie View for their schedule. They have the first couple of games that they have are some uh, very uh, competitive but tough games. Um, the one game that uh, people are talking about that say they might not should have had scheduled that would be SMU. But I think uh, the way that Prairie View and Bubba McDowell, uh, people forget that uh, he's the head coach over at Prairie View. You know, he played in the NFL with the Houston Oilers back in the day. 
former my uh University of Miami great. Uh, um, the schedule that he came out with with playing SMU and Abilene Christian. Um, he got Houston Christian on the schedule. Uh, he has no incarnate words, so that's good. Uh, so he didn't have you don't have to worry about that. So I give him an A plus for the schedule that he made up right there. I also would give an A. I probably give an A minus to my alma mater, Jackson State. Uh, we start off the season um, in the MEAC SWAC Challenge with uh, South Carolina State. That's in Atlanta. Uh, second game of the season, we have the Orange Blossom Classic. That's against Florida A&M, uh, which is, you know, we're, we're making that a big rivalry game with FAMU. Um, our third game of the season, which is we consider, even though it's our conference rival, we consider this game uh, out of conference game. That's not on. That doesn't have any effect on our in our uh, conference standards, which would be Southern. So we'll play Southern down in Baton Rouge. That is the Pete Richardson Classic, and then the fourth game would be Texas State, and that's going to be in San Marcos, uh, and with Texas State. Uh, you know, G.J. Kenny uh, became the head coach. You know, he was the head coach at Incarnate Word last season. He had Lindsey Scott as a uh, QB for for UIW, who was the Walter Payton Award winner, uh, obliterated a lot of passing records, touchdown records, to be exact, uh, last season with that team. He's no longer – he's uh, moved on. So, uh, Kenny is uh, at Texas State. And – Majority of his staff from UIW followed him up to uh, San Marcos. So I think that would be a good uh, – it would be a tough uh, non-conference game for us, uh, made for a good uh, offensive football. Uh, I like – like I tell people, I like the the hiring of T.C. Taylor as our head coach. Now, it's crazy because I, I say this, and I can say I could be biased because TC is my uh, – we came in in the same freshman class uh, at Jackson in 1997. Um, you talk about a guy that uh, pretty much eats, sleeps, breathes, you know, football, uh, black college football. Um, he's taking – you know, he's going to – I feel like he's going to try to take Jackson State to new heights, uh, and especially with the – signing class that we got we had uh gotten uh this past uh, last week which made us number one in FCS <laughs> as far as recruiting a couple of you know a couple of four stars a lot of three stars and a couple of two stars from JUCO uh from JUCO players uh and the kids that were still on the team from last season with who uh Coach Prime had recruited uh before he left to go to Colorado uh, I'm one. I'm wanting to see how he's going to do as far as with um, the games that we're going to play. Um, third on my list, I uh, I would go with. Ooh, I haven't seen the rest of. I mean, I've seen the rest of it, but I'm gonna go with uh, Texas Southern. Uh, Texas Southern has um, arguably one of the more dynamic quarterbacks now. That's not named Shadur Sanders. And Andrew Body, um, you're talking about a dual threat uh, QB that could actually, if he was to be let loose, he could pass for three thousand and run for a thousand yards. Uh, Coach McKinney has gave him 
uh, more weapons to 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 go with uh, at his uh, disposal. So I'm looking to see what Texas Southern does. So I give them a B. I give them a B plus on their schedule. And last, uh, my last pick as far as scheduling wise would be I would say I would say fam you. I give them B minus. Um, you go on to play. You got uh, University of West Florida, who is a D two national power. You got to re- remember they were probably like uh, a touchdown or so away from going to the national championship game. They lost uh, in the uh, semifinals to Ferris State, who was the eventual national champion this past season. Um, you also have they also have a game against uh, University of South Florida and Tampa, which is going to test their medal. Um, the best thing about Florida and them is they don't have uh, the situation that they had last season with the certification of the players that they uh, were dealing with. Uh, you had like over twenty five players that was ineligible, and and you know in parts of the season, uh, they Willie Simmons. Um, he he returns another star. He, he returns his quarterback in Jeremy Jeremy Musa, who's a Vanderbilt transfer. Uh, he basically was the better. He was the best quarterback, uh, not named Shador Sanders, <laughs> in the SWAC. So he it, it's a good thing that they have as far as the schedule goes. The only knock about the um, uh, in the SWAC would be Bethune Cookman because they just hired a head coach in uh, Raymond Woody. Don't know what his team will be. They have a lot of issues going down going down there in Daytona at Bethune Cookman. Hopefully they'll get all that rectified before the season starts. And um look, I'm just ready for some HBCU football. I'm gonna start going talking about some MEAC schedules uh coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. And then I'm going to go into the D2 ranks in the CIAA and the SIAC. So in the SIAC, I'm going to talk about Benedict College. Uh, they were pretty much undefeated until they played their second-round game against Wingate, uh, which was a tough loss for them. But Chinnis Berry comes in. I mean, he comes, returns a lot of his starters back. I think he returns his quarterback, uh, Eric Phoenix, back also I have to make sure and check that out see if that's the case but there's a lot of uh, football that's going on and I also uh, did an interview uh, with the AD for Chicago State Dr. Monique Carroll uh, it was an interesting interview on my podcast uh, they're uh, exploring the idea of adding football to their program. So y'all go ahead and check that out on HBCU Overdrive. You can uh, yeah. What do you? I, I want to ask you about that. The Chicago ahead, State thing. I, I'm yeah. so I'm I'm so curious if that's going to work out because they brought it up before, and that's a program that you know it's it's tough. I know the school has struggled a lot. It's public school, so it's got that anchor, so to speak, in in keeping it around. But I remember, gosh, it was like five six years ago they talked about it and. That was when their attendance was something like two thousand. It just plummeted over the years. But right. um, I think they went back up to probably like I think that she said they're almost close to three thousand students there. And yeah. of course, yes, you, you you know, yes, they are a public uh 
institution, uh, state institution that's on the south side of Chicago. Um, we talked about that. They already uh, formed an exploratory committee where you got a couple of Hall of, not Hall of Famers, but you got a couple of uh, uh, Super Bowl uh, players that was that's on that committee. One of them would be Otis Wilson, of course, from the 85 Bears. Everybody know that. Also, you have Howard Griffin, <laughs> two-time uh, two-time uh, Super Bowl champion. Um, that's on that uh, the committee, and they got a lot of people that's within the community that's on the committee. Also, they have a uh, the football coach, the head football coach from Simeon High School, uh, same school that produced Derrick Rose. They 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 are really, and I think, and. I'm, I'm hoping that the president of the school says yes, because now if you get that, if, if the president says yes, now you can start, to, you know, you can start preparing to to hire coaches, uh, see where you'll play, um, and getting the, you know, the kids to come over there. So they, what they're targeting is fall of 2025 to start playing football. If it is approved by the school president. So that's a, a thing that, we, you know, that's a, exciting to have. Um, and if it, like I said, if it happens, look, you, it'll be the only, it'll be the only Division One team school in the, inside the city of Chicago. Right. Northwestern, though, game. I mean, that's like, right. uh, yeah, but uh, it'll be it'll be tough, uh, though. I mean, and there's and the funny thing is there's actually good football in, in the, the, the Chicago Chicagoland area because D3's right. got North Central and they're they have proved to be uh, just a hell of a powerhouse in that they won a championship a few years ago. But yeah, no, I, I, there's a lot to, to chew on there. I mean, Bethune Cookman, you know, at least Raymond Woody. He, the expectations aren't going to be really high in a good way. I mean, because after the whole Ed Reed debacle, it's just like, you know what? At this point, whatever he can do, he's an alumnus. That helps. You know, he uh, – I know his son is playing. His son, actually, I looked it up. His son, uh, uh, who's because, who, I mean, he's Raymond Woody Jr., Raymond Woody III. He's at Cal now. He was at Florida yeah. State for a hot minute, but that's because his dad was there and he went to high school at Florida State High School. But – um yeah, it- you're talking about Raymond. You're talking about Coach Woody. He is. He's he's been with Willie Taggart, pretty much. Uh, Willie Taggart's whole coaching career, like head coaching career. Yeah, because he's uh, coming he from started, FAU because of that. He's like associate. He was uh, like you know AHC over there. Yeah, he was an associate head coach at FAU. So you know he was with him at uh, Western Kentucky, uh, where he had success over there. Uh, he goes to Florida State, uh, which I think they. They did him dirty. <laughs> uh, they never did give him a chance to get, you know, his kids in there to get it going. Uh, then he, you know, he lands the job over at uh, Oregon, um, which was a decent job. Uh, I mean, it, which he did a decent job, but not up to Oregon standards. And then he goes to FAU, where he almost had Shadur Sanders until Coach Prime went, uh, you know, before he be, uh, were named, was named the head coach at Jackson State. So, um, so he's, uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, Coach Woody is a hell of a recruiter. That's what you're going to need right there. You're going to need the recruiting. 
Um, yeah, and someone who's a, who's a believer and is an alum really helps. I think that that'll right. that'll that'll definitely give him staying power. And you know, he's had the experience, as you said, all those programs with Willie Taggart, and you know, I'm sure he's learned things that he might do differently. And now he's got that opportunity to to put his stamp on that program, and they'll just appreciate someone who who wants to be there and appreciates the school and, and understands what's going on there. But yeah, Doc, it's great talking to you, man. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Hey, guys, I just wanted to, to sort of check in with y'all. Like, so, again, this is RCFB Talk 125. We always like hearing from you guys. It's Tuesday night. If you'd like to join the conversation, anything you want to talk about in college football, just go ahead and hit request. You know, we also like to kind of talk about what's going on in the news this week. We've talked a little bit early on about the Pac-12 looking like it's focusing in more on San Diego State and SMU, especially with that Brent McMurphy tweet um, talking about uh, the commissioner, George Klyovkov, in uh, the Metroplex visiting SMU this week. But also there's, you know, we talked about the fact that two lanes, D.C., Lance uh Gidry was already he was there for like 18 days, has been poached by Miami to go down there and see what he can do with the Canes. But, you know, there's been a couple other fun stories that we talked a little bit, obviously, about the Brian Harris story and, and his head coach. But the other kind of ongoing thing is is the uh, the saga of whether or not Oklahoma and Texas will be leaving the Big 12 a year early to join the SEC and what's going on in that story. I know, J.D., you wanted to add some conversation on that. What are you thinking about this move? And again, if you'd like to join us out there, please hit request. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about all these moves that have happened in conference realignment, it still is incredibly ironic to me that the one domino that fell that started all of this was Oklahoma and Texas, and it still seems to be that that will be the last one that actually goes into effect. This next year, we've got all these new teams in the Big 12 that are coming in, and we get some hilarious results like Texas having to go to Houston. You've got Oklahoma having to play Cincinnati and BYU in this upcoming season. But now we've had all these reports that have come out that have essentially said that Texas and Oklahoma are ready to pony up some money, actually leave the SEC. But it's the television partners that are actually holding it up because they want to keep the inventory for 2024. So it seems like ESPN and Fox are actually the ones who can't come to an agreement with these teams and with the Big 12 to make sure that they can actually move over into the SEC quicker. The idea that we're going to have, you know, another year available for one last bedlam, for one last, you know, opportunity for all these schools to play against Texas and Oklahoma one more time, I think just absolutely infuriates everybody at Oklahoma and Texas. I thought it was kind of a bygone belief of everybody thinking oh yeah there's no way they're gonna have to wait until 2025 to actually go out and move into the sec but we're now looking at a very realistic timeline where in 2024 we've got usc and ucla moving into the big 10 and that move actually will happen before texas and oklahoma and that to me is absolutely ironic in the way that we're seeing all these moves happening in the big 12 realignment yeah i agree and i i just the fact that the television is is one of these hangups and that uh ESPN and Fox are just not satisfied with the deal that really does kind of hammer home who's pulling the strings on all of this um serious what are your thoughts on this topic kind of reminds me of uh some of the early NIL legislation where um some states tried to you know force the issue and the NCAA wound up you know 
being forced to to let the the floodgates open, and then it actually happened before the legislation legislation went into effect. Um, so I think that's kind of what what came to my mind in terms of you know the domino falling over, but not actually landing until several other dominoes had already hit the ground uh, with uh, with Texas and OU going to the SEC. And yeah, it just seems really weird. Some of the, the holdups that we're seeing on why they couldn't get this deal worked out um, considering the players involved. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if we really are locked into that or if maybe there's a last second shift in priorities and, and some people can figure out how to make it work. But uh, it is kind of wild to see that we're going to have multiple teams changing conferences before the two that kicked it off finally make it into their new one. And especially since I know that some of the SEC teams have already got the stuff in place that, um, you know, they're ready to, to make minor changes in order to have everything updated for the two new members. And, th- you know, those have been in place for over a year now. So it's a, it's an interesting situation, the logistics of actually getting them from one conference to another, especially considering the success and the budgets of those two athletic departments. Yeah, and gosh, with Oklahoma, I just find their schedule really interesting this year because, I mean, obviously they're playing they're playing at Tulsa, although it's a non-conference game. They're playing at Cincy as a conference game, and then they're playing at BYU. And I, I didn't realize that not only is this, and it would probably, I know it's probably been mentioned elsewhere, but I, I've only become the realization that OU and BYU have played twice, and BYU has won both times. <laughs> and... They, this is going to be the first time they've never played at, at each other's home. One was the Copper Bowl and one was a neutral site game in Arlington, Texas. So this is going to be the first, you know, home game for either program. And BYU's got the two ga- two to zero lead on that. So th- I'm looking forward to that when it's a later season game. But that's that'll be interesting. It's always I mean, a for any Sooners fans who get that opportunity, it's worth the trip because I've been to Provo for a football game. It's a beautiful place. And Utah's wonderful. You, really close to Salt Lake City and uh, Park City and, and it's it, it's a kind of a neat little trifecta of, of places to visit Utah or BYU it's it's wonderful wonderful location wonderful place to see football if you get that chance but as we kind of pursue here again uh pursue pursue I don't know why I said that but as we kind of go after some of these topics in college football if you'd like to join us give your thoughts on what's going on hit request we'd love to hear from you as we always do on Tuesday nights um yeah, one of the other stories that I kind of did enjoy hearing was this, you know, NIL is always kind of floating around in the background now, but I always admire the folks who kind of do positive things with this money they're pulling in. And Nebraska signee Malachi Coleman is putting 100% of his NIL money to kids in foster care. And the reason is, well before he emerged as a four-star Nebraska signee, He was a person in the foster care system. He'd been homeless. He'd been abused, as he said. And that's 100% of why his NIL money is going to foster care, because he wants foster kids to know they have hope. Sirius, I know you wanted to to comment on this. Yeah, you know, we've been unapologetically pro-athlete, pro-player, um, for years now. And when NIL was legalized, that was something that we were, we were pretty unabashed about that, that, um, you know, we we're supporting the players and what they're doing. We think that a lot of these are, are fantastic young men and women, and they're going to do great things now that they have the opportunity to actually raise some, raise some funds without getting in trouble. 
um, you know, even just look back at, at um, what happened recently in Buffalo with DeMar Hamlin, and it was publicized that as soon as he was no longer an athlete, one of the first things he did was he set up a charity to get Christmas toys for children. Um, so we knew that, that the potential was there, but it is amazing to see all of the creative and heartwarming ways that so many of these athletes are giving back to their communities, whether it's where they grew up or um, where they're playing football or undeserved, underserved communities. Um, so what he's doing with this is uh, truly astounding. And um, I, he, he's, he's to receive absolutely every bit of accolades and applause for this, because as you said, he came from, a very, very rough upbringing, um, having to go through the foster care system and having to go through so many struggles of his own. And now that he has the chance to earn money um, from NIL deals, he's decided that he doesn't actually want it. He, he's wanting to give it all away. And I think it's a real testament to his character when you hear about some of the groups that he's already partnered with. And they're inspired by him to the point where they're saying, we will give money beyond our NIL compensation for him. We're going to donate more money to his foundation that he's setting up to, uh, to help these very deserving and underserved uh, children in foster care. So we've had lots of examples of the, of this over the years um, that NIL has been legal. And I think it's just another great example of um, what these young men and women are capable of doing when you give them the chance and uh, let them put their name and their image to good use to help people who need it. 100%. You know, we have someone else up here who'd like to talk. Hey, it's our friend, Hob Buggins. What's going on, man? It's yeah. been a while. What up? What up? Um, anyway, I was just asking what are y'all's opinions of uh, the talk around Byron Leftwich being interested in the offensive coordinator gig at Notre Dame. Yeah, that caught my eye as well. I don't know, guys. Did you get a chance to read about that? Because there's a name that, I mean, I, gosh, is that, it's weird when you hear a name and you're like, wow, I, has it been that long since he played? Because I remember when he was lighting it up in the Mac. Um, but what, um, you know, what do you guys think of this? Byron Lefkowitz reaching out to Notre Dame about the offensive coordinator position last week for a source. He and Marcus Freeman have stayed in touch as he remains a serious candidate for a job so i mean it's i think it would be great i haven't actually what do you guys think about this to me it's an odd fit not necessarily because you know he's quote-unquote a bad coach or quote-unquote a good coach or quote-unquote a good fit uh but i think it's always fascinating to see a guy who coordinates a super bowl as an offensive coordinator is lauded is supposed to be the next big nfl thing and then very shortly afterwards is unceremoniously fired. <laughs> to go through that kind of change, and especially to go through that quick of a fall from grace, is always very odd to see in coaching circles. But when I think of college Brian Leftwich, I mean, I immediately think of, you know, the iconic drive of his lineman pulling him down the field and knowing that that guy knows quarterbacks, he knows you know, at least how to make a story out of yourself. And if you go to somewhere like Notre Dame, that's the type of thing that you need to be able to sell to recruits. Now, whether he's going to be able to be good at evaluating film for high schoolers and being able to build scheme around them and work with making sure that you get recruits on campus all the time and convince them to go to there as opposed to an Ohio State, a Michigan, or somewhere else like that. 
you know, it's a guy who hasn't had very much experience in college football outside of playing college football. But I'd be thoroughly interested to see what happens when you have a young, newish coach and Marcus Freeman taking kind of a gamble on a guy like Brian Leftwich, who very recently was a huge hot commodity in the NFL uh, before dropping off and being fired this past year. I think it would be, if anything else, a very interesting hire as an outside party to watch. Personally, I think that this whole thing is just Marcus Freeman trying to make sure that uh, he never has to worry about losing to Marshall in the near future by hiring one of their most famous players. <laughs> I mean, it, right? Like, that that's just kind of what it says to me is that, you know, he's just he's making sure that, that he's got his bases covered um, after, <laughs> after losing to Marshall 26-21 at home last year. Um, at the beginning of the season. So, uh, no, I think that um, I think it'd be an interesting move. Um, I was a little surprised that Tommy Reese left Notre Dame to go to Bama, um, especially when, you know, we heard that, uh, you know, Washington's offensive coordinator is going to stay there. They're going to run it back. Most of their, their skill players are returning. They got a lot of yardage returning um, for this season, and supposedly he wants to, to get a head coach job pretty soon. Um, but Tommy Reese was lured away and, uh, you kind of would think that, that, you know, if he sees a, a long-term future at, at Notre Dame, he would have stuck around. So, um, you know, Byron left, which yeah, could be interesting, um, coming from a, from an NFL perspective, that's where all of his coaching experience has been so far. Um, he's got a Super Bowl ring, um, that he can wave around to recruits. And he's got that experience in the NFL, both as a player and as a coach. So he knows what they're looking for at the next level. And obviously Notre Dame is going to be able to walk into the room of almost any elite player in the country and at least, you know, get them to hear them out. So I can see what he would bring to the job. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Notre Dame winds up doing, though. I have so many good memories of him as a as a football player at Marshall because uh, as unlike 90% of people, 99% of people, I am a very pure college football fan. And that those legendary games he was in, he just that was those are the you know, where just incredible quarterback play in the Mac um in that era. And uh the idea of him going there, I do wonder, I'd love to if he takes a job and there's an opportunity to talk to him, I'd wonder if maybe after spending these years as a pro head coach, maybe he decided there is an opportunity, a nice reason to transition instead into the college ranks. Maybe he, if there's aspects of that, perhaps he missed. Uh, uh, I'm not sure, but certainly, I mean, yeah, as a coordinator, pardon me, as offensive coordinator. So I do wonder, you know, if, and Notre Dame, as you said, it's one of the elite programs. I can certainly pay and they run themselves at a level that a lot of culture ball, uh, you know, institutions don't. Certainly, they're a lot more of an elite program than Marshall is across the board. So it's an opportunity for that kind of halfway point, maybe in his head. Like, not quite the NFL gig, but, you know, also a very elite college gig where, again, you know, you get to recruit players, you get to find people, and it's a little bit different of a game than trying to put together an offense in the NFL. So I'm, I'm curious about that. I'd, I'd love someone to ask him if he takes that job, if, if, he, if he gets that job, what led him to make that move? Yo, Hop, what are your thoughts on this? We've been kind of blathering on. Oh, maybe I put him to sleep. JD, what are your thoughts? I saw you wanted to have a chat there. 
Listen, I was just going to hop in to say, you know, we were going down memory lane with Brian Leftwich and part of his career of leaving Marshall, becoming a top 10 pick. One of the things that I always love about his career is he ended up getting picked by the Jacksonville Jaguars solely because the Minnesota Vikings could not figure out how to get their draft pick in time. So they had to surrender all those picks. I think it was either two or three picks because their time kept expiring and they couldn't figure out how to get their draft card in for the actual pick. So they lost a pick to, I think it was Jacksonville and something like Carolina as well, uh, simply because, you know, at number seven, Minnesota was on the clock and just could not make a selection. So all these other teams started picking and Jacksonville immediately jumped in and said, yep, Byron Reflich, that's our guy, making him number seven in the pick. Uh, I absolutely you know, when we look at the chaos of the NFL draft and things that can happen, I think Minnesota just having multiple expirations is still one of the funniest things that has ever happened in the NFL. And getting to talk about Brian Leftwich probably just unlocked that for the first time in 20 years for me on that. Well, hey, as a Packers fan, I appreciate you bringing up that memory about the Vikings as well. So thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this is our CFB talk. We're kind of slowly <laughs> running this down here with about 10 minutes left. There's a couple other topics that have been kind of around college football. Again, if you'd like to chime in and add your own, feel free to uh, hit request. One of the other um, talks, it's so funny, we actually had, I had Brian Lethwich's story kind of as part of it. You know, one of the questions I thought was fun and just kind of a lighter scenario, your school must merge with your in-state rival, what would you call yourselves, and what would be your nickname? Um, I the one that the top comment, one of the ones I thought was very humorous, was by Florida State fan Honcho fifty-five twenty-two. Obviously, Florida State and Florida. It seems to be where he's going with this. He said the combined team would be called the Florida Men, which I think is perfect. Florida Man, Florida Men, perfect. If there's thoughts you guys have, we'd love to hear them. But, J.D., serious, have there been – did you get a chance to see that post? If not, what two teams would you merge and what kind of team would you create? Yeah, I definitely saw the post. And one of the things that I immediately think of is what would make people the most angry? Because I think a lot of people would immediately try to go with something along the lines of like a Texas-Oklahoma or a Alabama uh, – uh, Auburn situation or something else like that. But the first thing that I immediately think of is something along the line of like the West Pittsburgh uh, Panther killers or something similar along the lines of that to revive like these old, old rivalries that very rarely get to get played these days. Uh, I think something with Texas and Texas A&M would have been absolutely hilarious. Or you could even go with something like, you know, you could reignite the Civil War up with Oregon and Oregon State and, uh, you know, call them the state of Oregon platypuses or something similar to that. I would love to see something like that if we're going to play that exercise. J.D., I, I know that Texas is bigger than a lot of countries, but technically they do have to be in-state rivals in order to qualify for this question. So uh, the West Pittsburgh whatevers aren't going to fit Eh, Pittsburgh's just Northwest Virginia. I'm sure everybody well, can hey, agree to that. But hey, I will say this: if you put Marshall and West Virginia put together, I don't know about the school, but that'd be a badass mascot with a mountaineer riding a buffalo, or not, or a bison, whatever. 
<laughs> or listen, give me a centaur with a giant shotgun just at football games. I would love to see that. A centaur with a shotgun is is it should just be the name of the mascot. Uh, you know, the uh like you know, just you know, like that gosh, there was a really it was originally a parody trailer and then they turned it into a really a B, a funny B movie, but hobo with a shotgun, but that one may not be seen by as many people. But I uh I like the that Mountain one. State know, another... Minotaurs. Mountain State Minotaurs. Let's make yes. that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. You did know, did you intentionally one. go for Minotaurs instead of Minotaurs because yeah, of the I, whole I coal mining of, was, thing? You said it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other one, I have to say from the post, one of the other ones I liked was the University of Washington State University Sockeyes. Because, you know, the salmon, the, you, know, the, you know, it's Washington. They, they have a lot of salmon. We cover the coast of the inland side of the state. Um, but I have to say, people pointed out the, as much as people like the Seattle Kraken, the Sockeyes would have been a perfect name for a hockey team that, I mean, oh my goodness, that would have, that was, that seemed to be a miss right there. Oh, if we want to go completely off topic, are you aware of why they couldn't use Sockeyes as the name? Frisbee team. You're kidding me. Yeah, essentially, somebody else had already beaten them to the copyright. And one of the other funny ones that I had definitely seen was uh, there was a uh, adult romance novelist uh, who had a series of like fictional hockey teams uh, to put in her novels. And she used like three or four other names uh, that the Seattle NHL franchise wanted to use. So they had a copyright war with her to try to secure any of these other additional names. But of course the Frisbee team already had the sockeyes. And then there were so many others that were already used up by this romance novelist who was trying to fight for all of these copyrights. It was kind of a similar thing when uh, the Washington commanders before they were, the commanders and they were the football team and they were looking for another name other people had just began to squat on those ips very similar situation in seattle but yeah the reason that they are not the uh, uh sockeyes yeah it's ip squatting it's absolutely fantastic oh my goodness you know another story the, just the one that the one that i liked was um when they were trying to come up with a name and people were like throwing out you know i think it should be this i think it should be that um the folks over at our hockey actually came up with the Seattle Rain City Bitch Pigeons. That That is actually a really funny logo. It's a beautiful logo and hilarious because it's, it's a it's pigeon It's fantastic. They made apparel with it. I mean, it is it is an amazing creation. Um, very creative. And the graphics were actually really well designed. <laughs> you can tell, angry a, looking you can tell a pro did that. You can tell a pro did that as like a fun like lark that they wanted to do because it is sharp. Absolutely, like the the smaller logo that they did. I mean, it's like a, a very angry looking pigeon with a, like a nor'easter, or I guess I don't know, or nor'westers a thing, um, with the hat and the rain jacket and everything. Um, I like that. Like, there's pictures of people have gotten there's hoodies and there's actually hockey sweaters and stuff with it on. Like, it would have been a phenomenal one. Obviously, for various reasons, not acceptable for the NHL. <laughs> But you know, it's one, fantastic. One last topic I wanted to just touch on, because this is something that has been uh, something that we've wanted to see uh, for anyone who's been involved with it. Is It sounds like the Liberty Bowl is going to get the money it takes to give it that renovation, that it's desperately needed. 
with the state because the state of Tennessee, the mayor of Memphis requested something like $350 million to cover renovations to both the Liberty Bowl and FedEx Forum. But the, as everyone has, who's ever covered a game in the Liberty Bowl will tell you, that stadium was in dire need of it. The press box was horrific. In addition to the problems, I mean, the Liberty Bowl this season, uh, I mean, obviously Memphis was going through a much larger crisis without any running water. But the governor of the state has said that they are going to go ahead and give the full money that was requested for those two particular facilities. There was some other additional money requested for athletic facilities. So that means the Liberty Bowl could very well reach the uh, could be in line for that renovation that it has desperately needed to the point where it's been, you know, a problem not only for the Liberty Bowl, but that's Memphis's home stadium. Uh, and I just have to say that's something I wanted to note. I mean, I know, you know, Sirius, you're from, you know, Tennessee originally. What do you think about this with the Liberty Bowl? I am honestly surprised that the governor was willing to uh, do any kind of a favor for for Memphis, given the, the politics that are involved. Um, but it's great news because you know, the Liberty Bowl is is for the Southeast. I mean, like it's it's one of the older stadiums. It's got a lot of history there. Um, a lot of SEC teams have played there over the years, um, including both of the the two in-state teams um, in bowl games. So it's nice to see them actually set aside the funds to be willing to help out. I think it's they say it's going to be like two hundred fifty million dollars for the Liberty Bowl, um, but very much needed. Um, hopefully the you know, it'll also kind of bring it's brought some light to some other issues that the city of Memphis has been facing, and hopefully they'll get some assistance there as well. Um, kind of reminds me of of some of the attention that Jackson got placed on it uh, this past season with Jackson State, um, kind of drawing eyeballs to the issues that were going on there, um, where sports maybe can hopefully help you know kind of uplift the city at large and bring some uh, some attention and some um, good works. Uh, to try to take care of some problems. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, and and we hope that that moves forward. I know they have it has to go through the legislature, um, even though the governor uh, proposed it. But I know in the initial articles that came out from Memphis and from the the Tennessee area, it sounds like that legislature is going to go ahead and blow that one through. I think it's an easy basket. Sports is always you know one of those wonderful kind of. Uh, that's why we love it. It's it it's something that can be bipartisan when when both parties are kind of looking to kind of make an easy basket. And it sounds like. That's something the Liberty Bowl Stadium, although it's kind of funkier name now. I mean, everyone knows that it's Liberty Bowl. That is that is something we'd love to see renovated. And I, you know, fans, media, because again, that press box needed it. That's something we hope to see, and, and hopefully they'll implement that soon. Well, you know what? It has been about an hour. We like to wrap these up around now. It's Tuesday night. We loved hearing your calls and talking what's going on in college football. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. My name is Bob Ekhire. He was joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore and Sirius. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.